welcome to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. So good to be with uh, all of you. Just want to thank the team uh, for just such an awesome time uh, in worship. Well, such unusual circumstances we gather together in to worship the Lord today. Um, received a, a special word from uh, Giovanna this morning, which she sent through to me, and I just want to share this with you. From Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. You might find yourself weary this morning, but I want to encourage you. It's the Lord who woke you up today, and you have the opportunity to listen as a disciple today, not as a disciple of man, but as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to hear from the Lord today, both in word and in spirit, the two that come together as one. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit has come to convict man of his need for a Savior and also come to lead us, guide us, and lead us into all knowledge. And when we study the Word of God, when we gather together to, together to, to learn of the Lord and to be discipled by the Lord, it is the Holy Spirit who comes and takes the Word and brings it alive. And then the Holy Spirit goes with you through the week, recalling this Word and that Word maybe from Sunday, maybe from the past, maybe something you don't even remember ever reading, and yet God will draw it up from within you that you would be able to live it out in whatever the circumstance or the situation that is before you. So Isaiah 54 is for you today. If you find that you're a weary one, then the word may it sustain you this morning. Let's Let's just bow our hearts. Father, we just thank you that we get to come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you that we are today seated with Christ in heavenly places before you. We thank you that while we feel separate, there is no spiritual separation between us. We thank you that as we come before you today, that it is you who would come and occupy our praises, dwell within our praises. It is you who would come by your will and guide us and lead us into all knowledge. We seek no other. There's truly no other to be sought in this time. And while these times are difficult here in Victoria, Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in the midst. You're doing things in the middle of this time and these circumstances that perhaps we would never see in our life. And we look forward with great anticipation to what lies ahead. And I agree with what CJ said. We repent. We repent where we have missed it. We repent. We seek your face this morning. Hallelujah. Well, today I want to talk to you about a principle that's in Scripture. It is a kingdom principle. So this is a kingdom of God principle. Uh, it is one that's really important. We see it throughout Scripture, and we can learn so much from it. We're going to go once again to the Old Testament, and we're going to take a look at Joseph. 
We're going to look at this spiritual principle of God switching hands. We're going to look at blessing. We're going to look at what it means to you and I today and what it means into the future. There's a principle uh, in the kingdom of God where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. We live in an upside-down kingdom. When you get born again into Christ Jesus, you become a a citizen of an upside-down kingdom. The way the world says is the right way up is actually upside-down from God's point of view. I loved it when I, when I moved to Australia. Everybody said, oh, you're moving down under. And then I got down here under, and it was like, well, it's down under on top. You know, life's pretty good here. Not so much anymore in the naturally speaking, but by faith we can do all things. Amen? Amen. Amen. I don't rely on the governments of men for my sustenance. No one should. We should rely on God. Scripture tells us that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or out begging bread. This is a principle. And you either believe it or you don't. It's there to lay hold of. But if we miss it, we can drive right past it and never see it. Never experience the benefit of it. And yet it has been given to us. This blessing is available to you and to me. Well, let's look at this principle of switching hands. We're going to look at Joseph and his two sons, his firstborn Manasseh and his secondborn Ephraim. And then we're going to look at Joseph's father, Jacob. We're going to take a a, a real deep look in Genesis 48. Uh, I'll read through a significant passage there. You might want to go ahead and look up Genesis 48. If you're taking notes, I recommend that you do. Um, write down Genesis 48. We'll walk through that in just a minute. This principle of God switching hands in blessing is, a, is perhaps most aptly described here in this passage in Genesis. But we'll also see it with Esau and Jacob, these two brothers, Rebekah's sons. And we'll also see it with Abram and his two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And the principle even goes through to the line of King David. It's such a consistent principle, and it's also found in Jesus Christ. We're really going to focus in on Christ today. Jesus is the firstborn amongst many brethren. Well, as we have a look at it, I'll I'll give you a bit of a build-up so we don't have to read too much, a bit of a build-up in Genesis 48. Now, Joseph in Scripture is also another type of Christ. We see types and shadows of New Testament truths in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, there's a mystery there, but in the New Testament, that mystery is revealed. And you and I get to benefit from this today. We know so much today, and we can learn so much from the Old Testament. And Joseph is indeed a type of Christ. Joseph was hated by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by his brothers, the nation of Israel. Joseph was a dreamer, and perhaps he let out his dreams a little too quickly when he shared with his older brothers uh, that they would, he had a vision and he saw them bowed down and serving him. They didn't take that so well. These brothers decided that they were going to kill him 
Well, the Jewish leaders at the time of Jesus decided they were going to kill him. What he said offended them. The truth that he shared offended them. Joseph's brothers decided not to kill him. They thought it might be a better idea to just sell him into slavery, make a little money on the side. And he was obviously sold into slavery, went into the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He must have been a pretty good-looking kid. And Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He stood his ground. He said no. He ran away. But it was all just a big setup. He found himself in prison, not just in prison, but in the lowest dungeon. But God brought him out of that lowest dungeon and brought him to the highest place in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh the king. There are many things we can pull out of there that are relevant to Christ, types and shadows of who, what we see in Christ. Well, there was a, a restoration process that happened between Joseph and his brothers and uh, a restoration process where uh, Joseph was restored back to his father and his father Jacob was restored back to them. They had had such a loving relationship. Uh, Joseph walked in the favor of his father uh, Jacob, which also added to the upset of his brothers. Well, as we get to Genesis 48, we see that Jacob is very old. He's really on his deathbed and he uh, has difficulty seeing. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12 of Genesis 48. Joseph moved the boys. Uh, sorry, I'll start in verse 10 of chapter 48. Jacob was half blind because of his age and could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys close to him, and Jacob kissed and embraced them. And then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again. But now God has let me see your children too. Verse 12, Joseph moved the boys who were at their father's knees, and he bowed with his face to the ground, and then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. I want you to follow me here with this positioning. This positioning is really important. Joseph positions the boys. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim toward Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay hands on the boy's heads. He put his, hand, his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. The right hand is the hand of favor. Right now, as we're having Sunday service, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, the seat of authority, the seat of power, the seat of the inheritance. He is seated there, seated on the mercy seat for you and I. The right hand is the hand of favor. The right hand of blessing in the line of Abraham, going all the way back to Abraham and coming all the way through. The right hand is reserved for the firstborn, and yet in, to Abraham uh, with Isaac and Isaac with Jacob, it was the secondborn who was blessed, blessed with the blessing of the firstborn. This is a, a switch, not just a switching of the hands, it's a switch switching of the blessing, a switching of the inheritance. 
This is really important for us to hold on to. So Jacob crossed his arms. I'm going to jump down to verse 17. But Joseph was upset when he saw his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it and moved it to Ephraim's, from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, he said, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. I know, my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great people. But his younger brother will become even greater, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, may God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Such an interesting moment, such a weird little thing. You can kind of read it and think, you know, what does that even mean? I don't quite get it. But this relates directly to what God did for us through Christ Jesus. This is such a kingdom principle, and it is consistent throughout Scripture, and you can trace it. Ephraim was the younger. Manasseh was the older, the firstborn. You know, there are 12 tribes of uh, Jacob, 12 tribes, one tribe from each descendant. And you know, the, the priesthood, the priesthood was not allowed to go into battle. They were not allowed to get their hands dirty uh, from war. So whenever there was war on, the tribe of Joseph, the one tribe of Joseph would split into the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Manasseh. So the nation of Israel always had 12 tribes on the battlefield. However, during times of peace, the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Manasseh would come together and be the tribe of Joseph. So during times of peace, there's one tribe. Very strong principle there. There is a, a thousand years of peace coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we will, we will watch these two houses of Joseph, these two in Joseph becoming one, these two in Christ, in Jesus Christ becoming one. Track that principle. Read it out for yourself. It's not what I want to focus on today, but read it out for yourself. The Word of God is so rich when it comes to the message of salvation. It's so rich when it comes to these principles. God is so consistent that you can see it throughout the Old Testament and revealed, of course, obviously in the New. So this principle was always also applied with, uh, with Isaac uh, and, Rebecca, and his wife, Rebecca. They had two sons, twins, Esau and Jacob. The way that this played out was, was that uh, the Lord revealed to Rebecca, your older son will serve your younger son, revealed that to her. Romans chapter 9 addresses, Paul addresses the issue of, is this unfair? Is God being unjust and unfair here to remove the blessing 
from the firstborn and to place it onto the second is God being unfair. You can go and look in Romans chapter 9 and see Paul's explanation of why that's not. But what we must take out of it today is that God is always fair. He's not only is he not always fair, he's always focused on reconciliation. God is setting things right. He's setting things right for mankind. God opening wide the door and saying, come. If there's a message that we carry, it is arms wide open, come back to God. This is the message we carry to the world. It's a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's our purpose we should not allow lockdown or vaccination status to hold us back from any of it, saying to the world, come, come back to God. Perhaps now more than ever. We are so close to the catching away of the church. Scripture says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that split second, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those of us, you and me, who are alive and remain, will be caught up together with, the Lord, with them to meet the Lord in the air. We were standing here, and suddenly we're in the air. The cemeteries look normal, and suddenly they've burst open. But not everyone has burst open. There's a difference between those who will remain in their grave and those who will burst forth. There'll be a difference between two people standing in a park pushing a pram. One will be taken, the other will not. It's coming. It draws nigh. I can't underline that enough. Oh, we need to be serious about extending our arms to the world and telling everyone that we can and inviting all of them, encouraging all of them, be reconciled to God. Now's the time for you to be reconciled to God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. We have Abraham with Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael, his firstborn son, but Isaac being his secondborn, Isaac being the one of promise, Isaac being the one that God would use as a type and shadow of Christ. When Abraham and Isaac, the father and the son of promise, would go up onto a mountain together, the exact same mountain that Jesus would be crucified on, Later, the exact same mountain, they walked up there and they acted it all out. Oh, praise God. So consistent, these types and shadows, they're meaningful. As a matter of fact, it was so meaningful that Abraham and his whole line was able to look at what was done there and what God revealed there and believe in Christ who had not yet been born in a manger. Believe in Christ who had not yet been crucified on that hill. Scripture tells us that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the world were even laid. Hallelujah. He's the Lamb of God, sent to take away the sins of the world. Jesus is God's plan of salvation for mankind. Oh, hallelujah. Through Isaac, God's mercy was expressed. Salvation. Jesus would come Jesus' name means salvation. That reconciliation between God and man would indeed happen. Jesus was the firstborn amongst many brethren. You know, God, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, God does not treat us 
according to our worldly status. God is not interested in your qualifications. He's not interested in your bank account. He's not interested in your ethnicity. He's not interested in what your daddy did for a living or how much your father or your mother achieved. He's not interested in any of those things, and he's certainly not interested in what they didn't achieve. He's not interested in your failures. God is interested in you. You are the most precious thing to him. Christ coming to rescue us was coming to rescue you and to rescue me. The only thing that God is interested is, are you in Christ or not? I, I, I saw some, yeah, I saw a, a pastor online. I'm trying to avoid social media as much as I can. I find it to be so toxic. But the times are so strange. I saw a pastor, a rather prom prominent pastor, uh, questioning the issue of hell, that anyone would have to go there. It didn't sit well with him, anyone having to go to hell. And so he's letting it all out online for the first time. And I, I looked at it, I, I oh. What does that do? You know what? Jesus spoke far more about hell and the reality of it than he did about heaven. If there's no choice to be made, then what on earth was it all about? And if it's a justice issue, if you feel like God is being unjust, who are you and I to judge? How can we possibly judge that? But the truth is that God is not being unjust. God is certainly not being unjust. I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read to you just a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Just want to look at that. We'll come back and we'll read a little bit more a little bit later. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We have to be made right with God and the only way to do that is through Christ. You know, when Christ was actually crucified, it, the scripture says that, that the, the, the veil that separated the holy, holy of holies where God's presence dwelled in the temple in Jerusalem, God never desired to dwell in temples made by human hands, but he dwelt there. He desires to dwell in the temple of, of our bodies within us. When you're born again, God takes up residence at his rightful place where he's always desired to be on the inside of you. Hallelujah. You become born again in spirit. You may still have some problems with your flesh and sin and all of those things. Of course you will. We're going to work out that. Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But when God's presence was there and then Christ was crucified and the veil was torn in two from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. This heavy veil was, was torn in two from heaven to earth and not from earth to heaven. torn in two. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The only 
thing that now stands between us and God is not our sin. It is not a veil. The only thing that separates us from God is Jesus, the door. Jesus, the way. And we, like Jesus, should say, come and be reconciled to God. When we give that invitation, we're giving the invitation Christ gives to the world, Christ on the cross, come and be reconciled to God. Hallelujah. So much we could cover there. But I want to take you to two other people that were crucified on Golgotha with Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, write that down, go and look it up for yourself. Isaiah, about 700 years before Christ was born. Isaiah 53, verse 12, saying that Messiah would be numbered with the transgressors in his death. These two thieves on the cross were certainly transgressors. They represent the two answers that we can give to the gospel. They represent all mankind, all of us. All of us are thieves. We all steal. We all lie. We all lust. We are prone to sin. That's why we need the word of God. We wash our minds with the daily washing of the water of the word. The daily washing. We come to Christ, we confess our sins, and Scripture says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Oh, we can be made right like that. So often we can mess things up like that, and then we can be made right like that. Sometimes we mess it up like that, and then we go and sulk in the corner for a little while and we beat ourselves up for a little while or even worse, we pretend like we didn't do something wrong for a little while and eventually the Holy Spirit brings the conviction. Eventually we allow it to settle in and we confess our sins and immediately he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Oh, how needlessly we suffer. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He who knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let's look at all of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16, all the way through to 21. Verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Verse 18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And then verse 21, for God made Christ, who never sinned, 
to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God on the cross was switching hands. And the only thing we had to do to receive that inheritance, to receive that blessing of the firstborn, the only thing we had to do, the only thing is to decide to be under the hand of the blessing. That's the only decision. The choice of salvation is a choice to be under God's blessing. You move out from underneath the curse and you move into the blessing and come under that blessing. And oh, what a difference that it makes. What a difference that it makes. This kingdom principle of switching hands and blessings should change everything for you and I today. I hope there's a fire stirring within your heart right now, even as I'm going through this with you. I know I'm being stirred. I, I know that, that this blessing should mean absolutely everything to me. It should change everything about me. Yes, being born again changes me. I become changed on the inside, and then I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, gra gradually changing attitudes, behaviors, speech, the way I, I live my life, the way I view my life, the way I walk humbly before my God. Those things begin to play out, yes, but the blessing is already there. The blessing is there. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the blessing enables us to do what God has called us to do. Jesus' instructions to his disciples, we get a few things from Jesus there. Many of these are going to sound familiar to you. Peter, at the Last Supper, Jesus started setting up to wash the disciples' feet and Peter objected. Do you remember that? Peter objected, you'll never wash my feet. But Jesus said, hey, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you and I can't have anything to do with one another. And then, of course, Peter, with his over-exuberance, said, well, then not my feet, but my head, everything about me. And Jesus said, no, just your feet. God's not interested in a new, you creating a new religion to overcomplicate the simplicity of the gospel. Washing of the soil from our feet is washing away the stains of this world that just seem to accumulate. They just seem to accumulate upon us. This is a fallen world. Mankind is a fallen humanity, and we accumulate things in this world. We need to come into that place of fellowship with Christ and allow him daily to wash our feet. You don't need to be saved again every other day. You get saved once, and then the washing of your feet. You get saved once, and then the washing with the water of the word of your mind, the renewing of your mind. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus' disciples, a couple of their moms said, hey, you know, when you come into your kingdom, can my son sit at your right hand? Can my son sit here? Where will you have my son sit? They're all worried about status. They're focused on status. In a nutshell, Jesus said, you want to be the greatest, you got to become the least. You want to be the greatest, you got to become the least. You need to become the servant of all. Being is a status. You want to be the greatest. You want to have the status of the greatest in the kingdom of God, this upside down, right side up kingdom that is God's kingdom. You want to have, be the greatest there? You want to have that status? 
then you need to choose by an act of your will to become the least. Becoming is a choice. Being is a status or a state. We must become the least. Jesus told his disciples, look, when you go into a meal, when you go in somewhere, don't seek to go to the head of the table. Go and seek to take up the least place at the table. Not only is it a kingdom principle, but also if someone sees you sitting there and they decide to move you to the head of the table, well, then you got promoted. But if you put yourself at the head of the table and someone comes in and sees you sitting there and moves you to the least spot of the table, well, how embarrassing for you. Humility keeps us humble. It preserves us. It's really important. Important principles we're seeing here. Hallelujah. Well, the barrier between us and God was sin. It certainly was sin. The two thieves on the cross, they weren't just thieves. They were, they were murderers. They were guilty of everything, and they really did represent all of humanity there on the cross. They were the transgressors, and they represented all of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. That's the judgment that hangs over all humanity. And if we get what we deserve, it certainly is not heaven. It certainly is hell, an eternity separated from God. But God in his mercy sent Christ. Those Two thieves on the cross, one said yes, and the other one said no. They both started off abusing Jesus. They both witnessed Jesus being nailed and being silent as a lamb. They both heard Jesus' second statement from the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Not only did he not cry out when they nailed him to that cross, he prayed for their forgiveness and he asked his father. They both heard it. Both of these transgressors heard it. One of them finally said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I assuredly, this day you will be with me in paradise. Oh, praise God. Oh, praise God. He didn't have time to get down, run around, do some good works, make restitution to the people that he had hurt, try to make things right. He didn't have time to come down and even go and get water baptized. He didn't have time for any of that. He just had to believe. All he could do was believe. He's nailed to a cross. All he can do is believe. Oh, he received mercy that day. Oh, he answered that call that Christ was giving out. Come, come back to God. Return to God, your loving creator. Oh, this switching of hands means so much to us. Just look at it there in what I just described. Look at it there in what I just described with the thief on the cross. Do you see him? Do you see yourself in him? Do you? 
Or do you see yourself in the other thief who was on the cross? Hard-hearted, just focused on his own pain, just focused on the fact that he got caught, maybe rethinking everything that he did of how he would ascend better if he could just do it all over again. How somehow he might have been able to work a different outcome if he'd just been able to do it all over again. There are clearly two choices here. Clearly two choices. And Christ, Jesus, in his mercy, was all that stood between them. They both stood next to the door. They both hung there on a cross next to the door, God's door of salvation, Jesus Christ. They hung there on the cross next to the Lamb of God, sent from heaven to take away the sins of the world. They're crucified on the cross. Do you know the lambs in the temple that had to be sacrificed would be stretched out and they would be in the form of the crucifix long before this instrument of torture developed by the Romans was ever put on the hill at Golgotha. There's a choice to be made there, and truly it is heaven and hell that hangs in the balance. For anyone who feels that God would be unjust sending anyone to hell, I could list a whole lot of people that you and I in our hearts would send to hell because we believe they deserve it. People who hurt children, I struggle with that. People like Pol Pot, how many Cambodians did he kill? This government leader, he killed so many, murdered them. He led other people to commit murder. We could go through, history is littered with the leaders of governments and the leaders of nation who commit this kind of manslaughter. Hitler. I could not give Hitler heaven. The only way Hitler or Pol Pot or anyone or Mother Teresa or anyone could actually get heaven is through Jesus Christ. Through him and him alone, there's no other way. And this idea of all, every, Christ died on the cross and now everyone is forgiven, now everyone goes to heaven, defies John chapter 3. Go read it. It's not just in John chapter 3, it's all through Scripture. Read Revelation. Read the end of the book. No, there is a hell. And there is a choice to be made between heaven and hell. Fear of hell is a good motivation to get you searching and asking questions about Jesus Christ who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. God switched hands on the cross. The blessing of the firstborn is available if you'll choose to come under it. It's available to you. And not only is it available to you, but it changes everything. You can become born again in spirit. Born again, changed on your inner man. God taking up residence within the temple of your body where he's always desired to be. You can become baptized in the Holy Spirit, the comforter guiding you and leading you into all knowledge. You can look into the word of God and have the word of God look back at you and hold up a mirror to you and say, let's work on this blemish today. Oh, God is so patient 
And he is so kind. He does not hold up a mirror to you and show you your warts and your ugliness to hurt your feelings. He shows them to you because he wants to make you spotless. He can do it all at one time or he can do it one spot at a time. Sometimes we wonder, why is it taking so long, God? Why do I wrestle with this sin? Why do I keep making that mistake? Why does it keep on happening? So much of it depends on us. God is patient. He's kind. He's long-suffering. He's gentle. Oh, be reconciled to God, a God of love. What extravagant love we saw on the cross. It is a kingdom principle. It was from the beginning, and it will be all the way to the end. Jesus said, I'll be with you even to the end of this age. Whatever trouble it is that you're going through today, and I know all of us are going through something right now, especially here in the state of Victoria, but also globally as well. It's never been like this. Should cause us to read deeply in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation. God would not have us ignorant of these things. We don't need to be ignorant. We don't need to be scratching our heads. What's going on, God? It'll be like the person who was uh, caught in a flood and they got up on the roof and God sent a, a boat and no, 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 God's going to rescue me. And then, and then uh, the water goes up a little bit higher and it's up to their waist and, and God sends along another uh, a dinghy and, and they go, no, 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 God's going to rescue me. And then they're up to here with it and God sends a helicopter and they go, no, 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 God's going to rescue me. God tried to rescue you three times. Amen. We need to respond. What do we get from this switching hands? Well, it should change everything for us. I hope it really shifts a huge stone in your life today. Whatever it is that's sitting in front of you, you are blessed if you are in Christ Jesus. You are blessed. You're blessed, and it changes everything. You are blessed, and it's more than enough for every challenge. You are blessed and it enables you to go and do all that we've been called to do, to take that loving invitation of our Savior to the world. Come, be reconciled to God. You know, it's time for us to believe it, <laughs> and it's time for us to, to live like we're blessed. We need to believe we're blessed, and we need to live like we're blessed. If there's a problem with the body of Christ today, if there's a problem with the body of Christ here in Victoria today, it's that we don't believe that we're blessed. Why do I say that? Because we don't live like it. You know, James said that, uh, you know, you can tell me what you believe. I'm paraphrasing here, but you can tell me everything that you believe. I tell you what, I'll follow you around for a bunch of weeks. And then at the end of that time, I'll tell you exactly what you believe because I'll just observe you. You're blessed now live like it. You're blessed. Now go and do what you've been called to do. You're blessed. Now make those courageous decisions. You're blessed. Live according to God's word. Live according to the conscience that God has given you. Oh, hallelujah. You're blessed. Now walk in it. 
You know, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you've been kind of thinking or maybe you saw a post of some pastor saying online, everybody's going to get saved. So you immediately kick the can way down the road and was like, well, there's no point in me doing anything. I'm probably going to go to heaven anyway. You know, a lot of people who have not taken the step of giving their life to Christ, who have not done that, are kind of hoping that when they arrive before their creator, they're hoping one of two things. They're hoping that their creator won't be there or they're hoping that God's going to go, hey, mahalo, yeah, welcome, you know, come in, you know, we've just put the pig on the spit and we're going to have a great time and, you know, it's just a big party up here. That's what heaven is. Whatever you need it to be, there's a corner of heaven for you. It's not like that. God's righteous. God is the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is our high priest. Today he sits on the mercy seat dispensing justice, living, listening to your prayers, your cries for mercy. He intercedes for you and I. When we confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, it is through Jesus Christ that that happens, through that intercession. God's greatest expression of love, that's through which it happens. God does not desire that any should go to hell. Hell was not a place that God created for any human being, and yet many will go there. Not because God created them, created the place for them to go to. He created hell for Lucifer and the, the angels and the demons that followed Lucifer. That is their abode for all eternity. But you know what? There's no option C for those who don't want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's A or it's B. It's yes to God's one merciful invitation or it's no and hell awaits. It is as simple as that. I get no joy out of saying it, but I do get joy out of hearing when one gives their heart to Christ. So what, do you, what must you do to be saved? I'm going to give you the ABCs of salvation. Now, there's no heading in the Bible that says ABCs of salvation. This is scripture. I'm just simplifying it, encapsulating it for you. If your heart is convicted today, if you've been living wrong, you've been doing the wrong things, you've been running away from God and you know it, the first thing that you need to do is acknowledge your need for a Savior. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. The Bible says that none are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can meet God's righteous standard. None of us. None of us. You could work for a million years to try and do it and never get there. Only Christ was able to do it. The B is you need to believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, sent to take away the sins of the world, that he died on the cross in your place, God switching hands, taking the sins of us all and laying them on the spotless, blameless Lamb that Christ was imputing our sins to him. 
He took your place. You need to believe that with your heart. And then C is confess with your mouth. Confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Confess him not just before God, but confess him before others. And then carry the invitation out to the world around you. Come, be reconciled to God. Come back to God. Come back to God. Let me lead you in a a little prayer. Um, If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, it's really simple. You can pray this prayer with me. It's real simple. It's not a magic prayer. It's just an outline. But you can pray it. Lord, I confess that I've sinned. I confess that I need forgiveness of my sins. I'll take a moment to think about them. It's okay. Just allow yourself to think about what you do, perhaps what you've done. I believe that Jesus came to die in my place on the cross. I believe he died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, and today he's seated with you, Father, at the right hand, at your right hand. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe in you, Jesus. I give my life to you, I ask you to use my life and give me opportunity to confess my faith before others and give me wisdom and insight and skills that I would be able to share this message and do it well. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all together we said, amen. Amen.